I want you to open your Bibles today, please, as we continue our focus on Micah chapter 6, verse 8. This study in the recent months is making a tremendous impact in my life. And I am puzzled as to why this particular truth was not understood or grasped in the way that I'm understanding it and grasping it today. Because I believe it would have shaped and made my life different as far as focus is concerned. But I trust always in the sovereignty of God. God brings into our life, into our minds, truth and circumstances, people and so on, when he wants them to be there. And that's why I look at this one. Worship has often been called the missing jewel of the church. At least that was so a decade or so ago. And that term was used, that phrase was used because of the lack of interest on worship at that time. However, there has been a dramatic and some would even say radical change in this area of worship in the church over the past 15 years or so, 10 years to be sure. Worship now seems to have been discovered in the church worldwide at least as far as the worship experience or worship styles and emphasis are concerned. I believe this emphasis on worship has dominated the church more than anything else over the past decade. This is so now because the same as though the focus on the extravagant, spectacular, exciting Innovation that many churches have brought into what they call worship now seems to have been uh, very significant in changing this emphasis on how our people worship in our churches today. And so we have churches that are now hiring ministers of film, ministers of media, choreographers, ministers of the dance and the arts, and you can even get degrees for some of these in the seminaries and Bibles colleges today. It's just amazing. And it's all because of the emphasis on what is called worship. Now, this should be a good thing, and I believe it is. But also, it can be abused, and I believe that is happening as well. Such an emphasis moved one songwriter to write the song that Anthon and the uh, praise team some just now after was it called after the music stops or when the music fades? Because he felt that the means was becoming the end and focus of worship rather than leading us to worship Jesus Christ himself. I believe that that lesson needs to be learned even more in the church today. The music, the method, the means is not worship in itself. Just to do it does not mean that we are worshiping. Sometimes, as this writer found out, you could go through all of them using all the wonderful instruments, the best musicians, and still miss the heart of worship. I believe that this has indeed happened and is happening because we have missed, I believe, the vital understanding 
that worship has to do with reflecting the character of God rather than reflecting our gifts, our talents, or even our sacrificial giving. Worship has to do with the reflection of God's character back to him. This has made a tremendous impact upon my life, to get this truth. And I believe that in spite of the renewed emphasis that we have upon worship, I am convinced, based on my own increasing understanding of the Scriptures, that the true essence of worship, the true essence, true meaning of what worship is, is still not fully understood by our people. Now, I'm in the process of doing an intensive study in this area, and I'm doing so because, uh, as I mentioned several times from this pulpit, one of my greatest desires and my most focused aim is to teach our people how to worship. And that means I have to know what it means to worship myself. Because I believe this is the most important thing that a child of God could be concerned with, the worship of a triune God. If we don't know what that is and how to do it, we've missed the mark as being the children of God. I am convinced of that. We could have all of the meetings, we could have all of the classes, we could have all of the seminars, we could have all of the musicians, we could have everything we want. All the cameras, all the videos, and we can put on extravagant worship services and still not worship. That's a hard fact to face, isn't it? This study, in fact, is where the emphasis on Operation Micah came from. And I want to show you why that is so and why it happened this way. Because this is going to be an emphasis throughout this year. And I want you to turn then to the Word of God. Because this is such an important thing, I want you to be sure that you see it in Scriptures. Remember the verse in Micah. Micah 6, verse 8. He has showed me, O man, what is good. He has showed me, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord demand of you? This is the good thing now that God has shown to the prophet. And so he says now, what is it that this good thing demands from a holy God? What does the Lord require, demand of you, not suggest? Now put out as an option, the demand of you. Here it is. He demands that we act justly. The King James Version says that we do justice. He demands that. He demands us to love mercy. And he demands us to walk humbly before our God. That's what God demands. And that still holds true today. Our focus is today and in this session on justice. The Lord requires justice. What does this mean? Well, let's go to the Word of God. I could give you all kinds of suggestions and 
implications that have come up, but let's go to the Word of God so you can derive it yourself. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Isn't that strange? The Lord longs to be gracious. Something is holding me back. We say God is gracious. That means he's just going to do it. No, he longs to be gracious to you, but certain things that they put in place. The Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. He waits to have compassion on you. Isn't compassion an automatic thing? Please note this now. For, reason, for, the Lord is a God of justice. That's why he wants to have compassion. That's why he wants to be gracious. Why? Because he is a God of justice. In other words, his graciousness and his compassion is demonstrated through his justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. I love that. Right away, Psalm 30, uh, I think Psalm 36 comes to mind. As the deer pants after the water brook, so pants my heart after you, O Lord. What is your heart panting after right now? Do you want to know why you don't experience the compassion and graciousness of God in your life the way you should? Maybe it's because you are not longing after him. This is an amazing scripture. And I hope you take the word of God seriously. These words are not written just to fool around with. This is God speaking. The God who made you. The God who created you. The God who redeemed us. He is the one who is speaking. This passage describes for us one aspect of the nature of God that sometimes we forget, overlook, or just don't know about. The nature of God. There was a statement made in an article I was reading by a man called C.B. Samuel entitled, Justice, the Character of God. I want to quote this because it really made an impact on me. The Bible says, but the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice. Notice that. He will be exalted by his justice. And the holy God will show himself holy. Notice now. The holy God will show himself holy by his righteousness. The idea is that his righteousness is a manifestation of his justice. God revealed his holiness, he says, in his commitment to justice and to righteousness. Holiness is not a branch or school of thought. Get this now. Holiness is not just a theological concept, a theological word of the day. He's saying that holiness is who God is. Let me finish the quote. It is very important to understand that when we talk about justice, we are talking about the character of a holy God. See, that's what struck me. 
When we talk about justice, we are talking about the character of a holy God. And therefore, when we are recovering justice in the church, we need to recover again an understanding of what it means to understand God as a holy God. Are you getting this? If we leave out justice, when we talk about God, we are not talking about a holy God because His holiness is manifested through His justice. End of quote on this passage. He says, it says in this passage, God will show His holiness by His justice. Oh God, help us to understand this truth. God will show His holiness by His justice. In other words, God's justice reveals and is in fact a manifestation of the holiness of God. Now you've got to put the milk aside here. Meat is about to be served. The triune God is a God who is characterized by justice. Justice is a part of who he is, an aspect rather, of who he is. And that's why I agree with Samuel when he says, justice is a character of God. And, and this is what has taken a hold of the core of my being as a result of this text. God will show his holiness by his justice. What an amazing thought this is, and what a convicting one. Here's the connection between Micah 6, 8 and the character of God and holiness and worship. When we do justice, when we live out justice in our lives, we demonstrate the holiness of God. Are you getting the connection here? Are you? Some of you look kind of dazed. Because this is a vital truth here. When we do justice, we are manifesting the holiness of God. That's what the text is saying. Now I'm still exploring the biblical ramifications and implications of this truth. The connection of worship with doing justice and the demonstration of the holiness of God. Because this is a mind-boggling, life-changing truth for me. Holiness, justice, and worship. How are they related? I believe that's what we've missed out when we study about God and doing justice. Let me take you to the Word of God to see how the Scriptures themselves relate these concepts and let God speak to us directly from His Word. First we go to Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. Most of you know this passage because it speaks of Jesus Christ. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. 
From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Now whenever you use that word, the fear of the Lord, put worship there too. One who worships God is the idea. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. This is speaking of Jesus Christ now. But listen what he says in verse 7. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, as so many of us do. Or decide by what he hears with his ears, as so much of us do. But he will judge with righteousness. Now notice. With righteousness he will judge the needy. You see that? Notice carefully. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. What an amazing statement. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will show his holiness to the ends of the earth, to the poor, by what he does with them, his decisions. He's talking about the manifestation of his holiness through his just deeds to the poor throughout the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness to sash around his ways. What a beautiful passage of scripture. All of these words are pregnant with meaning. But we have to leave them rest for a while. But notice, justice here is associated with God's righteousness. Justice here is associated with the poor of the earth. The poor of the earth. Let's go now over to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, speaking again of Christ. Here is my servant, whom I uphold. My chosen one in whom I delight. I love that. This is God speaking about his son. He said the same thing. The baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to what he's got to say. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. Does God delight in you today? Does he delight in me? I will put my spirit on him. For what reason? He will bring justice to the nations. Do you see that? He will bring justice to the nations because of the empowerment of the Spirit of God. That's his anointing. To bring justice to the poor, to nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, notice now, he will bring forth justice. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ and the ministry, the work he will do when he comes to earth. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until 
he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. So you see the Bahamas there. We included in that all of the earth that his justice is going to be reached. And this is a passion for him, for Jesus Christ, his servant. You like to talk about he had to go to all the cities in order to preach the gospel. This text is telling us he had to go to also to demonstrate God's holiness by doing what is right, doing justice to the poor. Once more, we see here that the whole earth will know that God is holy through the manifestation of the just dealings of Jesus Christ. Listen to Isaiah again. Chapter 61 this time. This is the mandate that God gave to Jesus Christ and Jesus passed on to the church when he left. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Listen to it. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to do what? To preach good news to the poor. Do you see that? He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. All of this has to do with justice. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. This is Jesus' mandate. These texts then teach us that God manifests his holiness through doing justice that he describes as caring for the poor, caring for the needy, caring for the oppressed, caring for the widows, and caring for the brokenhearted. That's how God manifests his holiness. We're not talking about charity or hand out here. No, 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 no. Christians could do those same things that the unsaved does, but do it as an act of worship, and it makes all the difference in the world. As I emphasized when I first introduced Operation Micah several weeks ago, Jesus came to fulfill this mandate as given to him by the Father when he left earth for glory. He passed this mandate on to us. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to enable us to manifest the character of God by doing so. Did you get that? God the Father said that he gave Jesus Christ his Son the Spirit to enable him to act justly in the world. Jesus Christ goes back to heaven, but before he goes, he mandates, he gives a mandate to the church. And you know what he says? You do what I was doing, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to enable you to do it. We have left here to complete the ministry of Jesus Christ by doing justice to the poor. Listen carefully now. This is exactly what we did on Christmas Lord's Day when we went to the neighborhood. We were manifesting the holiness of God. Did you get that? If you are to understand and accept what God says in his word, that's what that was all about. Manifesting the holiness of God by doing justice to the poor. 
It was a way of being holy, even as he is holy. Now notice, listen to this carefully now. It was an act of worship that was acceptable by a holy God. Did you get that? Was an act of worship that was accepted by a holy God. It's important for us to be reminded that all worship, to be worship, must be acceptable by God. If we offer him worship and is not acceptable, it's not worship. It's flesh. It's self-satisfaction, self-gratification. All worship must be acceptable by God. And he tells us that the worship that is always acceptable by him is when we demonstrate justice toward the poor. Care for the brokenhearted and meet the needs of the needy. I want to remind you of something because some remarks have came up, but let me remind you something. We don't only worship when we meet here 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Some people say that. Why are you going to disturb our worship to go in the streets? There's a disconnect here. You understand what I'm saying? Why are we going to disturb our worship so we could go in the streets? You know what God is telling us in this passage? That's the way we worship. In fact, sometimes he gets fed up with our coming to worship every Sunday morning with the idea that that's the only way of worshiping. We say, now, Pastor Lee, that kind of... Well, let's go to the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 1 again. Hear the Word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? This is the word of God. I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. But God, didn't you say we need? Yeah. I say you need to bring them, but it's the way you're bringing them. I'm fed up with you, with you doing what I say. Ha! With the wrong motive, wrong purpose. It's amazing how we use the Bible sometimes, you know, to do the wrong thing in order to appease ourselves. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? This trampling of my courts. Why are you coming here jumping up in my temple? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Lord, I bring in offerings. Stop it. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies, my Lord. I cannot bear your coming to church meetings. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. Oh, good grief. Coming to church, your coming to church is a problem for me. Because of the way you come. 
I am weary of bearing them. Verse 13. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. My goodness. Didn't we pray? Oh, yes. But there's a way to pray. Even if you offer many prayers, I won't listen. You could fast and pray as long as you like. Your hands are full of blood. You can take it literally or you can take it symbolically. Wash and make yourselves clean. Now, who is he talking to? He's talking to people who come to church every Sunday and bring all the offerings and sing all the songs. That's who he's talking to. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. See that? Here is the first way of correcting worship that is not acceptable to God. Seek justice. In context, seek to do what is right for the poor, the needy, the underprivileged, the oppressed. That is what they were lacking. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. What is he saying? That's the kind of worship I am looking for. But isn't it amazing? That's the very kind of worship that so many of us leave out. Why? Because I come to church 11 o'clock every Sunday morning to worship. These are the things. Somebody else could do that. Now, that isn't bad enough. Listen to God again. Now, this is the word of God. You know, I didn't write this up. I didn't make this up last night. Listen to Amos now. Chapter 5, verse 21. I hate and despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Now, notice this. I love this. Let justice roll on like a river. That's what God is looking for, for us to be continually doing justice toward the poor, the oppressed. It keeps on going like a river. It keeps on flowing. Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Isn't that beautiful? Let it roll on. Let it keep on. Let nothing stop it. Don't let sin damn it up in your life, but keep it flowing. The same author I mentioned made another statement that I like. He says, quote, When we worship the one who is on the throne, we are worshiping the God who judges the world with justice. The invitation to come to his throne is to witness the God who does justice. Worship is an activity of the community that is committed the justice. Did you get that? Worship is an activity of the community, the church, that is committed to doing justice. Worship becomes an expression of a community of church that hungers and thirsts for God's righteousness because that's how his righteousness is manifested by our doing justice. End of growth. Of course, this is not to say that God hates music or other offerings that we bring to God in worship. It doesn't say that. But what the text is saying is that what 
is really music in the ears of God is justice rolling on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. That's a sweet, sweet sound in the ears of God. In other words, a lifestyle on the part of his people that reflects the holiness of God demonstrated by the caring for the poor, the underprivileged, and the hurting in our community and the world. That's what he's looking for. A lifestyle, not an event type of a thing. This is worship and all through the week, I'm worshiping no more. No, no. Worship has to be seen as a lifelong, ongoing activity. Everything we do. When we eat, now this should put you on diet right away. You should eat for the glory of God. Didn't he say that? But you eat what you drink, do it for the glory of God? Well, all of us who should put on some eating, remember that? When you pick up that, whatever it is, is this for the glory of God? When we talk to one another, is it for the glory of God? When we deal with our employees, is it for the glory of God? When we go into the streets and we give to the poor, is it for the glory of God? John tells us that it is God who is seeking worshipers. It is not worshipers who are seeking God. It is God who is seeking worshipers and he finds worshipers acceptable to him when he finds that we are living justly toward the poor. He finds acceptable worshipers. Beautiful truth. Now, here's God's direct and precise reply to those who ask exactly what it is that God desires in worship. All right, God, I come at all my money and you don't take it. I come at all my singing and you don't accept it. I beat the drum, I play the horn, I do all this stuff and you just say that's, you, you, you just noise. I wish somebody would close the door and keep you out. That's what the text says when you read the rest of it. All right, Lord, if we're doing what you tell us to do and you're still not accepting it, how do we correct it? Hear the word of God. Isaiah 58, verse 3. On the day of your fasting, that's worship for many, you do as you please. Whenever I read this, I always remember a friend of mine. I love him so much, but I always get down on him. This, He says, Tuesday is my day of fasting. And he goes about doing everything he does normally, except eat. But otherwise, he goes to the same place. You go to the movie, you go to the movie. He does the same thing. No difference. He says, that's my fasting because I ain't eating. Hmm. That's dieting. On the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. See the point he's bringing out? You oppress the poor, the underprivileged. You don't pay them what you should, your workers. You keep them over time and you shouldn't. And you don't pay them double time and all that kind of stuff. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? 
Only a day for man to humble himself. Is that what I'm looking for? It's a rhetorical question. The answer, of course not. Now he says, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? In other words, let me tell you the kind of fast that I demand. Loose the chains of injustice. Unite the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. That's the kind of fasting he wants. He calls that fasting. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? That's what he's looking for as a real fast. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wander with shelter? That's what he is looking for. That's the worship. That's the kind of fasting he's looking for. Oh, you could write up your own manual as to what it means to fast, but it won't be worth anything in the sight of God if it doesn't meet these requirements. Let me give you one more quote from this writer, C.B. Samuel. He says, quote, To worship God in the Spirit is to worship Him consistent with His character as the God of justice. Oh, that's such a beautiful, wonderful, convicting, challenging truth. To worship God in the Spirit is to worship Him consistent with His character as the God of justice. And such worship is born in the heart of those who are socially engaged in acts of justice. Now here's the part that attracted my attention because this was my concern. So we see a healthy relationship between worship and doing justice. It is here that the Spirit creates a community of justice. The Spirit was not given to make us feel good. The Spirit enables us to be a community with mission. And the community of mission is a community that is to bring justice. And that is my vision for Calvary Bible Church. To be a community of believers as members of the incredible body of Christ. Who will bring justice to our community. And so doing, be it manifestation and demonstration of our worship of a holy God. The Spirit enables us to be a community with mission. And the community of mission is a community that is to bring justice. So, justice is not just doing right, but to establish an environment where right is done. That's what I covered for Calvary Bible Church. It is not just your doing right in your private life. We need to create in our country an environment where justice is done. End of quote. That's what I am pursuing here, to see Calvary Bible Church being a community that causes justice to run down like an ever-flowing river because we are constantly always reaching out to help the poor, the needy, the oppressed, and the underprivileged. Now, I'm not talking about substituting this for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not a social gospel I am preaching here. No! This is the heart of true worship. The word of God has to be proclaimed. The word of God has to be held high. But let me tell you, even the word of God has more power 
when it is spoken from a platform of a people who is doing justice. They listen. And that's why I remember when we went out, some people say, when we knock on the door, you the Jehovah's Witness? See, I don't want that to happen when we go around there again, when we knock on the door. You see, they ask that question to keep the door shut. I want, when they go to knock, and says, are you from Calvary Bible Church? Come on in. You're welcome. The Lord bless you, because I know you are manifesting the character of a holy God. That's what I covered for Calvary Bible Church. This is my mission. This is my mandate for this new year and beyond. To create in our assembly as members of the incredible body of Christ an environment where justice is done as a way of life, not as a project or not as an activity, but as a way of life. An ongoing act of worship that manifests the character of a holy and a just God in our assembly. And so, I close with this comment. Doing justice is really the missing element in genuine worship. Doing justice. Doing justice is really the missing element in genuine worship. And so I challenge you, I encourage you, let's worship genuinely by doing justice in our community. Bow with me in a word of prayer. Take a few moments of quiet reflection and meditation. If God has in any way spoken to you from his word, please respond to that right now in any way that you believe that he wants you to and is honoring to him. Perhaps it's a commitment to make. Maybe it's a commitment to make you personally reaching out in your own neighborhood to help the needy, to help the poor. Perhaps a commitment to become more involved with Operation Micah, as we call it, and to help make it a way of life for us. Whatever it is that God has been speaking to you this morning through his word, please respond to him right now. Father, help us, we pray, by your spirit to be genuine worshipers by doing justice in our community. And all of God's people said,